Amen, amen. It is, uh, again, a, a blessed day that we can certainly sing and be happy in. Um, I was standing between two gentlemen. Um, one has me by... The brother on my right has me by 30 plus years. The one that was on my left has me by 50 plus years. Um, I don't know what's going on with me today. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes, um, and maybe it's because I'm on vacation, and it's given me an opportunity to have clarity of thought. Um, but some days, it's it's difficult for you to really. I don't. Okay, I'm going to describe it the way I the way I have it in my head. Um, some some days are more sharper yes. and more distinct. I'm more aware some days than I am other days. Um, I'm aware of the fact that Brother and Sister Bill are alive for me to see him today. Unless you're a figment of my imagination. <laughs> I suspect you're not because I shook your hand earlier today. <laughs> but the fact that I'm standing I'm going to be 40 next month. Yes. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Um, but I tell you, um, life has a funny way of moving on. Time has a funny way of moving on. Uh, I have a child, three children. She's 16. Yes. She's going to be graduating uh, high school here pretty soon. Yes. She is about the same age. She is the same age when I first met Heather. Can you believe that? <laughs> She's the same age as the first time I met my wife. Yeah, wow. But what's even more wow is you both were old when I first met my wife. And now you've lived long enough to see a great-grandchild be as old as I was when you first introduced me to your granddaughter. Amen. That is crazy to me. The fact that I'm at 40 years old, Brother Porter still has me by 20, 30 years, somewhere around in there, and Brother Bill has me by almost 40, 45, somewhere around in there. That is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that I have it's crazy to me that brother and sister Marzette are going on almost 20, what, 15? 15 plus years since the accident? Mm -hmm. Yes. 16. 
16 years. Yes. Can you believe that? That is no. crazy to me. And it just gives me uh, an opportunity to, to just realize the, the beauty uh, of this moment. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> I've got you today while I have you. I don't know what 2020 is going to bring. I don't know if I'll survive 2020. I don't know if some of us in this room will survive 2020. Amen. But think about what we have today. Amen. I don't know. That, that just seems, it seems more than a blessing. It seems awesome, in fact, yes. to, to think about how far we've come to get to you. December, whatever, what is it, the 28th? 29th? 29th. The 29th of December in the year of our Lord, 2019. And I have a child who's 16 years old. I can look at Brother Porter, who's been a Christian now for when was the first? When did you place your membership here, brother? <laughs> it's been so long I can't remember. This carpet. When did we get this carpet? It. We probably got this carpet um, when Allison was when I was Allison's age, and I'm forty. I mean, these pews, <coughs> this building, how many, how many people have owned that house next door? Amen. You remember when we had a wooden fence yes. mm -hmm. on the other side? Remember that shed in the back? How old is that rose garden back there? Sister Marzette, she was a teenager. Those roses are old. Yes. But we got them still. They're still leaving, living. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're still bearing fruit. And look at all of us here in this room. I think that's what the beauty of, of experiencing or coming to a new year. Because it gives us all the opportunity to reflect on just how far we've come in a short amount of time, but it also gives us the ability to stop and just appreciate today. Because there is uncertainty in the future. We don't know what it's going to bring. I don't know what's going to happen to my wife and my three kids. I don't know what's going to happen to brother and sister Bill or brother Steve. Brother Porter, or Brother Sister Marzette, Tiffany, Russell, to the, the three dogs, my house, the roof, my car, my job. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can lose everything tomorrow. But just appreciate today. Oh, man. Uh, 
kiddos, you need to embrace your great grandparents. They may not be here tomorrow. Great grandparents, you need to embrace your great grandchildren. Because this may be the last time that you've seen them. Amen. I know Brother Marzette saying, sing and be happy today, and I, that, that's a great message because we yes. need to sing and be happy today yes. for the lives, the relationships that we have. Brother Porter, when you get home, you need to give your wife a hug and a kiss. Because you've been through a lot. It's awesome. Amen. That is not my lesson. That is just how I'm feeling. Uh, but uh, there's there's one song that uh, just really can me that pertains to my lesson. Um, and it's song number 346. And the title of it is to hold to God's unchanging hand. Yeah. Well, we're just going to sing the, uh, the first verse. <clears throat> um, 346. Got it? Let us sing. Time is filled with swift transition. Not consistency. It's got mass. That if anything falls, it won't pop you in the back of your head. You know, if you're in a ship, right, and, and the sea is moving in and out, 
you know, what are the, what are, um, uh, I was going to say pilots of ships, but uh, the captains of ships, what do they do? They throw out an anchor. The anchor goes down to the bottom of the ocean and it holds that ship steadfast because it's got mass. It's weighty. Um, it's attached, the, the anchor is attached to the boat via a nice, sturdy, heavy gauge, uh, non-rusting chain. The anchors of our souls is God. God is that steadfast. He's got mass and weight and, per, uh, and permanency. The world changes, but God never does. And that's something that we can lean on. That's something that we can establish um, or build our faith off of, is that God doesn't change. It's comforting to know that even though I'm, I may be exposed to, uh, you know, storms or, you know, uncertainty in life, there's, all, there's one thing that remains that will always be certain, and that's God. The flip side of that is that God is unchanging. He's the same God that destroyed the entire world except for eight souls. He's the same God that when the uh, Israelites worshipped the golden calf, he led them to wander the wilderness for 40 years until every single person, man, woman, and child of that generation, or man or woman, rather, had died. He allowed them to die through attrition, if you will. He's the same God... <coughs> That in that journey through the wilderness of sin, he took 3,000 lives for not failing to keep his commandments of worship. He's the same God that has taken numerous lives in the Old Testament scripture. He's the same God that, uh, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. He's the same God that killed the firstborn child. He's the same God that says, I am a jealous God. He's the same God that says, vengeance is mine. The same God that took all those lives back in the Old Testament, because God is unchanging, is the same God that exists here today. If you have your Bibles, I want to start off by talking about this unchanging God and who He is. If you have your Bibles, please turn over to uh, 1 John. And we, I read this often uh, because I, I think it's important to just understand if God is unchanging, if God does not change, if God has weight and mass and purpose then we need to know what gives God that weight, that mass, and that purpose. In 1 John, the uh, 4th chapter, and we'll look at, start at, at uh, verse number 7. It says, <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And guess, and, and if you understand, I know you do, uh, but... Again, just looking at the, the syntax of that statement. 
Um, it says, for love is of God. Means that the essence of God is love. Or love comes from God, or love comes out of God. If I were to squish God, love would come out. Every, and it goes on to say, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And not only is his blood, his, the, the, the stuff that fills God is love, it says that the things that come out of his loins is love as well. And it says, again, <clears throat> it says, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. For he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And that's a beautiful song. Come, let us all rejoice and sing. God is love. If you want to understand who God is or this unchanging God that's spoken of in the scripture, you have to understand that he is made out of, he is love. So if God is unchanging, guess what also is unchanging? Love does not change. If you want to understand, you know, how an anchor works, or if you want to understand how getting under a heavy table protects you, you also have to understand what love is. And the weight and the mass, the permanency of love. It goes on to say, For in this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Through Him. Herein is love. So if you want to know the proof or the evidence of love, here it is. Yes. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins or a sacrifice for our sins. Not just any sacrifice, but the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What is the weight and, and the mass of love? Well, we know that the weight and the mass of love is that God allowed His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and to die on the cross for our sins. In, S, you know, in the context of what we're just reading here, in the book of Matthew it says that the Spirit of God, and, and you can go back and, and, and read it for yourself. Matthew, I believe it's the second chapter. Let me flip over here and, and read that. Uh, Matthew, the first chapter, my apologies. And it says, <clears throat> Matthew, the first chapter, verse number 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child 
of the Holy Ghost. Now, the world uses the term of God to use with maybe a little bit of disrespect. I use this phrase with the, with the utmost respect and honor and praise. Jesus Christ was the love child of God in Mary. How do I know this? Because those who are born of God are no love. As it says back there in what, 1 John, the fourth chapter and uh, uh, verse number 7, And everyone that loveth, rather, is born of God. Jesus said, No greater love can a man show than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus knew... Sorry, Jesus knew love, and because he knew love, he was born of God, because God is love. Amen. So by the very definition, Jesus Christ was the child of love, yes. or love child, mm -hmm. of God in marriage. It goes on to say here in the, the first chapter... <clears throat> Uh, the book of Matthew in verse 20. It says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And, he sh and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's the weightiness of love. That's the permanency of love. The mass of love. That's the anchor of our souls. That God loved us enough to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. Again, going back to 1 John. <clears throat> It, uh, it says in uh, verse, verse number 20 of 1 John chapter 4. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love the unchanging God whom he hath not seen. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. So, what about this unchanging God and his unchanging love? What that tells me is that if I am to love this unchanging God with the unchanging love that can only come from this unchanging God, my love for you should never change. That means if you hit me, you smite me, you do me wrong, my love can't change. But I know what you're saying. Brother Garner, how can you say that when God killed so many people in the Old Testament Scripture? How can, how can you tell me that God, God's love didn't change. If he loved us so much back uh, 
if he loves us so much now, then why did he destroy all of those people back then? How come he didn't show them mercy back then? Well, let's take a look at that. In Exodus, the uh, 10th chapter, um, in the book of... <clears throat> the 10th chapter in the book of Exodus, um, we can read of the Ten Commandments. Just ten commandments. Simple commandments. But who are these commandments for? I guess is the question. Um, and it's not Exodus the 10th chapter. Sorry. It is Exodus. Sorry, I had it marked the 20th chapter. But who are these commandments for? Well, let's take a look and read these commandments and reflect upon why God gave the nation of Israel, or they weren't the nation of Israel at this time, but the Hebrews, the Ten Commandments. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image or any likeness of any kind that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children excuse me, visiting the iniquity of the fathers among the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. It goes on to say in verse number 22 of this same chapter, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say, shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And ye, ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall thou make unto you gods of gold. An altar of the earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I, where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. What are the commandments for? What are their purpose? Well, their purpose, as you can read here in the book of Exodus, even for the very beginning, was to help or to bring about an acknowledgement but on the part of the Hebrews about who God truly is. Lest we forget lest we, we forget where we came from, lest we forget about the anchor of our souls, the unchanging God. He said the very, the very first commandment is that you will not forget me by creating other gods. Why? Because I'm a jealous God. What is jealousy? 
So when we think about jealousy, we think about, um, and this really speaks to our, our uh, discussion this morning about certain words that the world uses that are different than how they're used in the scripture. Okay, we all know what the word jealous means. We can go to the Webster's Dictionary. But when we think about jealousy, we think about a woman with green eyes. Do we not? She's green with jealousy. She looks out and sees what others have, and, and she wants it for herself. Do you think the Almighty God has those type of feelings about some trinket that is made out of gold or silver? Is God truly jealous of an inanimate object? That would be like me being jealous of this table because it's holding up the Lord's uh, body in his shed blood. That makes absolutely no sense. But what is he talking about in the context of this verse, in the context of this statement, I'm a jealous God? Well, let's read it again. It says, <clears throat> you, he says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. He's not jealous of an inanimate object. What he's jealous of, he's jealous of all the things and all the sacrifices that a loving, unchanging God has made on behalf of his loving, uh, of the children that he loves. For those children to turn around and bear obeisance to something or someone else. That's what he means by being jealous. He's not jealous of a rock or gold or silver. He's jealous of the fact that his children that he loves are being obedient to the commandments and to the wills of something other than his own. First John, the, uh, the fifth chapter, tells us that we show our love for God by being what? Obedient to his commandments. So what happened when the children were disobedient to his commandments? What happened when they did not obey his will? What happens when God, in his jealousy, strikes out at his people? People die. People cease to exist. But what happens to those who love God? Who know of this unchanging God? And what he's made out of. It says he will, in verse number 6 of Exodus chapter 20, show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. What is love? <clears throat> well, we've all experienced love before in our lives. You know, the love of a husband, the love of a wife. The love of a child, the love of a mom, the love of a dad, the love of a country, the love of a company, the love of a boss, the love of a pet. But do you honestly and truly know what love is? 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter talks about, or the 13th chapter talks about what love is. And... In particular, there's one verse in here that I want to read. Um, 
in verse number 7. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the 13th chapter, in verse number 7, it says, Love, or charity, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. In verse number 8, charity never faileth. But what fails? What will go away? What is temporary? What doesn't have the mass, the weight, the permanency of love? Well, it says prophecy will fail. Tongues will fail. Knowledge will fail. But there is one thing that will persist from beginning to end. One thing that is the Alpha and the Omega. One thing that will never change, and that is charity and love. And it's not a coincidence that the way that the Scripture describes love and charity is the exact same way that it describes God. Because the love of God, the love that makes up God, because God is love, is forever. How do I know this? Well, going back to um, you know the the song that we just sang, it was three forty six, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one one verse, uh, one stanza, or, or of this song, <clears throat> it says uh, in verse number two, trust trust in Him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring. If your earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Stands in number three, uh, or verse number three. Um, Covet not this world's main riches that so rapidly decay. Seek to gain the heavenly treasures. They will never pass away. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright the home and glory, your enraptured soul shall be Hold to God's unchanging hand. And I would say, to add on to that, analogous to, is to hold on to the unchanging love of God. Put your hope and trust in that. Understand that God is a jealous God. He's the same God back then as he is today, and how dare you be prideful enough or have a, a spirit of pride to think that all the things that you've done in this life, all the accomplishments that you have made are your own. The very fact that you are living today has nothing to do with the fact that you eat well and exercise, that you take your daily vitamins and probiotics and Metamucil and, and such and such and such. That has nothing to do with you, but has everything to do with the unchanging love that God exhibits to you every day when you wake up by allowing you to breathe. Amen. And that will never change. Again, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it says, um, looking at verse number 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, 
It is not puffed up. Doeth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. If you want to know who God is, those are all the things that God is. God does not care about himself more than he cares about you. If he did, he wouldn't have given his only begotten son to die on the cross to begin with. God doesn't seek out your worship. What he seeks is your obedience in relationship to the love that he has shown each and every one of us, even before we were, even before we were born, even before we were a twinkle in our mother's eye. He doesn't seek his own. He didn't establish those commandments to make it difficult for the Jews, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, for the spiritual Jews, us today. He's given us his commandments for our benefit. We've talked about this before. Why do we come together on the first day of the week? What, is there a purpose for God? I mean, that we come together on the first day of the week? No, that purpose is for you and I. The partaking of his son's body and his shed blood is not something that he's told us to do just because it puts a smile on his face. No, go back and read John chapter 6. By doing so, he's given us life. This contribution, this money in this basket. Why did he command be uh, Paul charge the, the, the churches to do this? Is it to go into you know, some you know, bank account that God is going to draw from at, at, at such and such a time? Or to build a, a grander temple for God? No, the purpose of that was what? To provide for the needs of one another. God's love goes out. It goes out to all of us. God is always pushing his essence, his love, his weight, his mass to us in the form of love. And he tells us in 1 John, if we are the recipients of this unchanging love, what must we in turn do? Not, not necessarily give that love back to God. God commands us to love Him with all of our hearts, our minds, and our soul. How do we, how do, we do that? Well, go back and read what it says First John. It says that this second commandment I give you is like unto the first. That you love one another or you love your brother, or you love your sister, you love your enemy, even as I have loved you. It's a golden rule. Okay, and if you're taking down notes, that's in uh, 1 John, the third chapter, if I'm not mistaken. Let me find it real quick, because I know Sister Bill is... Writing down the notes for us here. Or maybe not for us, but certainly for ourselves at the very least.
me a second here. Ah, 1 John chapter 2. My apologies. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. But let's go back to the uh, book of Isaiah. And um, our scripture reading this morning was Isaiah, the 54th chapter. And we read verses 5 through 8. Now, I have a study Bible, and the title in my study Bible says, The Lord's Everlasting Love for Israel. You know, because God's love is unchanging, the recipients of God's love are also unchanging. In the Old Testament scripture, God's love was only directed to whom? To his obedient children. The Hebrews, the Israelites, who later became called Jews. And because the love of God, the unchanging love of God, is unchanging in who his recipients are, are we recipients of the love of God today? Absolutely we are. As a matter of fact, the entire world is the recipients of God's love. But it hasn't changed. It's not like it, it was like a tight beam love and now it's a wide beam love. His love is always directed at a certain group of people. How do I know this? I know what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But do you understand what the last part of that says? It says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Again in verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. So his tight being love in the Old Testament was only on those who were obedient to his commandments. Go back and read Exodus chapter 20. We just got to reading it. For his love and his mercy is of thousands that love him and keep his commandments. So those who do not love him and don't be, keep his commandments, is his love directed at them? No, absolutely not. And the same is true today. Even though Jesus died on the, on the cross for the entire world, the recipients of God's love is unchanged. Only those who hear, believe, repent, confess, and are baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, are the recipients of the still, tight beam love of God. Okay, well, you may, you may say, well, I'm not a Jew. 
not a Hebrew, certainly not an Israelite. So how do I know that I'm a partaker of that, of that promise, of that love? Go back and look at the book of Romans, and, and we'll get to Isaiah here in a second. Um, but in the book of Romans, <clears throat> the uh, third chapter, and, and there's, there's a ton of, of verses here that, that we could talk about here, but um, it says in Romans, the third chapter about circumcision. What is it about circumcision? Circumcision means absolutely nothing. And if you look at uh, the third chapter in verse number 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law and is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. You know, as it, as it talks about circumcision, um, <clears throat> we know that Abraham in Romans chapter 4 was justified not by this physical sign of circumcision they had, but he was justified by his belief and his obedience to the commandments of God. We know that we are the spiritual Jews because we carry the circumcision of the heart and not the circumcision of the flesh. So, in a very real sense, we are Jews. We are Hebrews. We are Israelites because we carry the same mark. Except it's not on our physical parts. It's on our spiritual parts. God is unchanging in who He loves back then. And he is unchanging in who he loves today. Anybody who does, does not love him, does, that does not believe in his son, Jesus Christ, is outside of his love. Even though Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for the sins of everybody. So I go back to uh, Isaiah, the 54th chapter. Um, in verse number 5, now the prophet Isaiah, as he's speaking to uh, the Israelites, he says, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer of the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. That's an introduction and a half. Who is this unchanging God? He is your husband. <clears throat> How close is your husband or your wife? They're really close. You share a bed together. You may have, even at times of scarcity, maybe have shared the same toothbrush. The same cup of coffee. Maybe even share the same socks. Maybe you share the same comb, same hair stuff. 
You share your fears, your wants, your desires, what makes you happy, what, what keeps you up at night. You share the same bed. You consummated your relationship in a sharing of bodies. This unchanging God, this maker of the entire universe, is your husband. Is what Isaiah is trying to tell uh, the Israelites. That's how close he is to you. It goes on to say in verse number 6, For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken, and grieved in the spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. Well, you were just some raggedy old woman, grieved in the spirit, suffering in your youth. God called you into a marriage relationship, into a marriage bond. This Redeemer, the, the Redeemer of the Holy One, this Lord of hosts. And he says in verse number 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. That's who we have to serve. Or excuse me, that's who we get to serve. That's who we're blessed to serve. That's who we're blessed to uh, call our Father, the Almighty, this unchanging God, that even in spite of those moments where we feel like things have changed, where we feel like His love has waned, where we feel like His protection, we've lost it, or He has forgotten about us in those moments of distress, Trust in the unchanging God and His unchanging love. And His unchanging love has everlasting mercy. But the flip side of that is, if you don't love Him, if you don't believe in His Son, if you're not obedient to His commandments, you'll be outside that that tight beam of love. And why do I call it a tight beam? Because if it were broad, then everybody would go to heaven. His mercies would be upon everybody. It wouldn't matter what I do, or what I said, or what I believe. If His love was that unchanging, if His love seeketh not His own, if His love was always directed to my ultimate benefit, it wouldn't matter what I did, because His love would overcome that. Mm -hmm. The Scripture says that straight and narrow is the way, but broad is the path to destruction. God has always preserved a remnant. Amen. Back then, and He's preserved a remnant today. The few there be that find it. The few that believe, and not just believe, but abide and, uh, and I'm, I'm reflecting back to what James said about faith and works. But 
the few that not just believe, but do the works of God. Those are the few that the unchanging God imparts His unchanging love upon. So I'll leave you with this final verse. Favorite Bibles. <clears throat> Go to the, uh, the book of Revelation. And <clears throat> we'll be reading from Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 6. John, as he's in prison, sees this revelation. He says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty, mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You didn't, did, did all of you know omnipotent was in the scripture? Well, there it is. All knowing. What does potent mean? It's not just that he is all knowing, but he has all potency. He is not weak in any way, shape, or form. Every aspect of God abides in strength and never in weakness. It goes on to say, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. You know, let us be glad and rejoice and give God the glory and the honor that each of us have been married to his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The all-knowing, all-loving, unchanging God has given us an opportunity to be married to his only begotten son, to be heirs to the throne, to his throne, the throne of the Almighty. You know, when John heard these things, you know what he said? The scripture says that he did. John said that he fell at his feet to worship him. After God had told him to write them, the spirit of the angel of God had told him to write these things. John immediately fell down to his feet and worshipped him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, for, thy, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Rather, worship God, and not me the angel, 
For the testimony of Jesus, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As we go into 2020, <clears throat> times will change, things will change, people get older, some will be born, some will die. Um, Heather, how old were you when you had Elizabeth? Hmm? 22? My mom was 21 when she had me. That's five years. Uh, Elizabeth is 16. Scary. Five years from her age now, my mom bore me into this world. How, how old will you be, Sister Bill, in, in five years? 94? You could very well see a great, great grandchild. It's astounding. Think about that. Elizabeth is not going to have a child at 21. Okay, I'm just saying that as an analogy. She knows that. I know that. It's not going to happen. But it could. It could. She can meet. She can meet her husband. Yes. Just like Heather met her future husband. Right. And the ball can roll, and and God's will and His providence will continue to roll, and it could happen. I bring this up to say this. Times change. Amen. Things change. The years change. The seasons change. People change. But one thing that doesn't change is God and His love. Amen. And that's what we need to invest. That's what we need to hold on to when the seas change. You know, when we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, we need to throw out the anchor of God and His love to keep us, to settle us, because His love has mass and weight because he is omnipotent and if God is love what does that tell me about love as well love is also omnipotent all knowing all seeing the alpha the omega all powerful love conquers all is what the scripture tells us So put your hope and your faith in that. What is it, again, the chorus, the 346? Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. So if you're here this morning, and you have... You've had moments of weakness. You feel like you're adrift. Um, you know, it feels like you don't have any clarity. It feels like you don't have any footing. Hold to God's unchanging hand. And His hand, and His face, and His arms, and His legs, His heart, His blood, everything about God, the essence of God, is love. So hold on to that love. Hold on to God's love, knowing that God always 